Welcome to the Swim Swim Breakdown. I'm Coleman Hodges coming to you from Asheville, North Carolina, where I'm taking refuge after this NCAA March Madness. Uh, we are joined by Swim Swim Editor-in-Chief Braden Keith from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and coming to us live from his mom's house in Cary, <laughs> Illinois, we got Michael Hammond back on the breakdown. What's up, guys? It's like we were all just in the same place 24 hours ago. And now we're in different places, but we're still in the same place. Yeah, we. This is this is very familiar faces for the last week. So <laughs> let's get rolling. The craziest part is that we were all in Atlanta, and now we're all just across the globe. Let's get rolling. Sorry, Cal won the 2022 Men's NCAA Championships to not the surprise of Swim Swam. Braden, enlighten us why we saw this coming. Well, basically, you know, when you add in Texas's diving, which is not what it's been in the past, we were in a dead heat coming into this meet. And for the last four or five years, Cal has outdropped Texas at NCAAs. Um, so like Texas would have had to have done something different. They would have had to have broken the trend to win this title and they didn't. The gap was almost exactly the average historical difference between seed drops for the two teams. Um, so in other words, the numbers didn't lie. The numbers were right. The numbers happened exactly how they should have happened. Yeah. And there, you know, there's obviously a couple of uh, variables in there that the numbers don't totally tell with the, the Alchinachi DQ and the Alvin Jang surprise scratch to then not use him on the 400 medley relay. Like there's, it's clearly wasn't going to be enough to, to put Texas back over the top, but it's probably a 15 point closer meet than it, than the numbers actually say now. But I mean, at the end of the day, like these teams are actually constructed fairly similarly, like have a sprinter or two that, but then have ranges of guys that can do well on relays. They're really good at the IMs and the strokes. And at the end of the day, Cal was just better um, at what they do best, especially on the last day, having tons of a finals in the two hundreds a stroke. Like there just was no way that Texas could catch up with them at the end. I think your point about these teams being constructed similarly is a great one because this is sort of how Cal is often built. Um, you know, they have had superstars in the past. You think Tom Shields, um, for example, a couple other guys, but like this sort of Cal team where they're super deep, get lots of kind of top three finishes. Um, Hugo obviously had a really, really good 400 IM, but you know, he was a one event winner. Cal, when Cal's good, Cal, doesn't usually do it with like a two to three event winner. And when Texas wins, they often have that guy. And this year, Texas didn't have that guy. They had um, Drew Kibler won the 200 free. Um, then they won, won a couple of relays, but that was it that, you know, for, for individual winners. Um, and that's not how Texas wins NCAA titles. I think maybe that's why we miss the fact that Cal has generally a better taper is because Texas often has a Joe Schooling or a Jack Conger or a guy sitting at the top that's just so overwhelmingly good that we don't or five. maybe notice what's, <laughs> yeah, or, or five, that we don't necessarily notice what's going on down roster as much. It, it always amazes me that the numbers don't lie, right? And this year, this, this was like the perfect example of, you know, all the fans were like, oh, Cal, Texas can be super close meet. But if we look at the trends, you, you, it could have pre been predicted that like, oh, uh, it looks like Cal, uh, if they do what they did historically and if Texas, what they do historically, Cal should win handily. 
which they did. I almost feel like sometimes we ruin the fun because a normal person going into day four would have thought it was going to be a close meet. Um, and then it wound up not being, which again, the numbers made that pretty clear going into day four that it was over. I'm a normal person. I was like, meet's not over. It's it, it could come. <laughs> they have to, you know, Texas good mile diving. What? And you were like, dude, the meet's done. <laughs> it was. <laughs> Moving on from NCAAs, we actually had a lot of really big news come out yesterday, uh, starting with the 2024 Olympic swimming trials uh, are set to go back to Indianapolis, but allegedly. not right, allegedly, um, but not at IUPUI as we've seen them in the past. They're going to Lucas Oil. They're going to, straight to the top to the Big Boy Stadium. What do we think? This feels like such non-news to me because I think it was so painfully obvious that if they were leaving Omaha, they were going to Indy. There's a certain generation of swimming people, and it's a generation that has a lot of power in swimming right now, for which Indianapolis is like the swimming city because of IU being there and because of um, all the trials meets they've held in the past. You know, the, the wrinkle here is that Dale Newberger, who is the FINA vice president and the head of United States Aquatic Sports and all these other roles within swimming, his son runs Lucas Oil Stadium, um, is the, the stadium director. So like, and, and Dale has been pushing Indianapolis on, on his social media channels and like, he can pretend like he doesn't have an influence over it all he wants, but we know he does. Um, and so to me, it's just like, yeah, it was always going to be an indie. We're going to hang out at the Weber Grill all week, ride scooters. Like, I, I'm i kind of bored with indie. Not that Omaha was the most riveting place on earth, but at least in Omaha, I felt like there was a concentration of swim people, like, around the stadium. Around Lucas Oil is not great. Like, there's not a lot going on there. So I think people are going to be a little more spread out um, into different parts of the city. But it, there's probably more... Um, more housing, more hotels, no college world series. So it's okay. Like it doesn't excite me even being in a football stadium. I just don't get that excited about it, but like, it's fine, whatever it's Indy. Yeah. And the, to me, the question is, you know, how is, what is the environment going to be like inside the stadium for the racing? Like they're able to sell out the arena um, in Omaha without too terribly large of a challenge. And so they can create this, this fantastic environment for the racing. But now if you're, uh, you know, the pool is, is likely going to be oriented uh, across the field, not lengthwise. So they'll, they'll put it like in an end zone kind of um, where the, they won't try to look at the capacity of the stadium of, of 75 or 80,000, probably reduce it to, I don't know, 30 or 35, right? Um, are they going to be able to sell out and create that same environment? Or is it going to uh, feel kind of dead inside even though even if there's maybe six or seven thousand more people you're now in a stadium that is multiple times larger than where you've ever been before i mean indianapolis is is known as you know the indiana lsc is one of the larger lscs indianapolis specifically has a ton of club swimmers it's obviously closer to large population centers that are also have strong swimming communities like louisville cincinnati chicago especially um you know much closer than anywhere in omaha um, so maybe they can get a little bit more of a draw there, but, you know, are we going to be able to see 40,000 people at the finals of Olympic trials? I, I'm a little skeptical that they're going to be able to sell double the amount of tickets that they, they did in Omaha. Part of me wonders if this is, 
if they've decided this is the year to test for 2028, because as I repeat over and over again on this podcast, and as everybody's probably tired of hearing me say, the 2028 trials are going to be, the, the whole 2028 Olympic circus is going to be insane um, with it being in LA. And so maybe in 2028, they can put 40,000, 45,000 butts in the seats um, for an Olympic trials meet. So maybe this is a, a tryout to see what they can do, how they can do it, how this temporary grandstand in an end zone works. Um, so maybe for that reason, it's a, it's a good value. But yeah, I mean, even, even if you cut the stadium in half, for anybody who's not been in an NFL stadium, they're like six levels high. Uh, you know, versus Omaha is two levels high. Yeah. So it's, they, they'll probably curtain off some of the top levels, like they'll do different things, but that is going to be a really high ceiling, um, which an another wrinkle is that's going to make it real interesting for the backstrokers. You know, I, we already hear them talk about these big arenas that they're moving into now, but it's almost going to be like swimming outdoors. Yeah. And I, I think that's a great point that, um, you know, the, the environment will be completely foreign to any anybody who's ever swum in a, in a meet before. Like there's never been, to my knowledge, anywhere in the world that's been swum in a facility that large. And interestingly, we'll probably also provide a different environment than we'll actually be seen at the Olympic Games, right? Like USA Swimming in the past has held outdoor trials in 2004 to prepare for the 2004 outdoor pool in Athens. Um, and then having kind of the you know larger stadium and or middle-sized stadium in in Omaha kind of mimics a little bit the size of of some of these Olympic stadiums that have in, have had in recent years, um, but it, it's interesting that that it's probably not going to be a the best prep for actually what will happen at the games, and being able to manage that and, and qualify for the team will be interesting perspective for the athletes. We reported that the largest uh, swim event ever attended was forty five thousand. Do you think? that will get hit here or be broken in the stadium in, per, in one session what was that it was like 1932 olympic games in oh, munich okay. i think yeah um i don't know i don't think that i don't think the capacity is going to be that big like i i don't think i i don't think usa swimming they've got a couple of years probably they probably got a year to make a final decision on capacity but like i think they're going to go for 30 or 35 and be happy with that. I don't think they're going to try to push for 45. And, you know, maybe the answer is um, tickets go on sale pretty far ahead. Maybe the answer is if it starts to get that big, they just open up another level and they don't have to expand outward. So maybe that's why part of why this is attractive to them, the sort of modularity of it. Yeah. I, I also think like 45 is, is pushing it. That's that's probably half the capacity or slightly more than half the capacity of the actual stadium itself. Like the, if you're going to orient the pool in the end zone, you're, you're by definition, probably blocking out two thirds of the stadium, unless you're going to build a pretty sizable uh, temporary grandstand kind of on the field, on the other side of the pool, hitting 45 is just going to be a logistic, which they might, yeah. uh, you know, that, to me is probably a, a logistical challenge and just kind of how it's going to be oriented in, in the stadium. Well, and we're seeing lots of basketball games in football stadiums right now, or that's, that's yeah. a very popular thing for the final four. I don't know what they're doing in new Orleans this year, but um, people generally don't love it. It, it, I, I have not been to one, but people I know who have say they feel really far from, from the court and really disconnected that it's fun because of the vibe, but like, 
it's not a great spectator experience. So, so I have been to one at Lucas Oil Stadium. Oh. So as an expert on the topic, I very much felt like I was far away from the court and there were a lot of empty space upstairs, like up real high. Um, that kind of, I mean, there was a great vibe because it was, you know, Duke and Louisville or whoever was playing. Um, but there also were moments where it's like, wow, this is a, there's a lot of space in here that the energy just has a hard time fulfilling that much airspace. Because modern, modern stadium design tries to go real vertical, get you right over, even the, even the spectators up high tries to get them right over the, the court. And when the, the court or the pool, in this case, isn't the right size for the stadium, it doesn't really work. Braden, you brought up a point that I would like to circle back to is that no college world series of baseball, which means that we won't have a mixture of high class and low class mullets, which personally makes me sad, but I'm sure Indianapolis can provide some stylish hairdos to mix into our uh, <clears throat> swimming boring. With Coleman being a, it what we call a bifollicular, where he can go. <laughs> either high class or low class with his mullet, depending on the appropriate attire. Exactly. Uh, so trials, trials and Indy 2024, I'm sure we'll talk about that much more. Uh, that's all the, well, that's all the news e stuff we're going to do. The rest of our topics today, we are going to do via sink or swim. First up today on Sink or Swim, coming right up on the heels of the NCAA championships is the Pro Swim Series in San Antonio. It is the last Pro Swim before the 2022 World Championship Trials in everyone's favorite place, Greensboro, North Carolina, at the end of uh, the end of April. Sorry, we're not to April yet. My, my first question about San Antonio is Caleb Dressel going to go a 47 and 100 meter free. Sneaker swim. At least we're not taking trials to Greensboro, right? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to swim it. it. It feels like in my head when I first saw this question, I said, sink. No, it's too soon. But then, you know, we have to get ready because no rest for the weary. Here we go right into world championship trials. So I think he's going to be teetering right around the 48 all mark. And I think he'll kind of dip just under. So I'm going to swim a 47 for Dressel. I'm going to sink a 47. I mean, we've seen Dressel being the ultimate when it's time to go fast, I'm going to go fast. And when it's time where it doesn't really matter or not, if I go fast, like I'll be beat up in training and just wait until the end. Like, especially, you know, I know our next topic involves the pro swim as well. I don't like racing in outdoor pools. The The conditions are super variable. So I'm going to sink Dressel going 47 and 100. Am I the only one who thought he was going to say, because he's going to 46. <laughs> uh, yes. You are. Um, I think this is an indoor pool just for the I are not swimming oh, at the, big, the big outdoor it's, stadium. It's not the 2015 Nationals pool. It well, when they in 2020 and 2021, when they had pro swims there, it was an, at an indoor pool. It's like the Josh. Oh, so it's it's not at it's not at North, it's not at North Side. That's yeah, so it's the Josh Davis pool. The the renovated uh, course pool next to Josh Davis. Yeah, right, which yeah, is not yes. Josh Davis. Correct, which which really confused. San Antonio me. pool, pool <laughs> so complicated. Yeah, so I am swimming it as well because I think it was 2019 where he went to a meet in California in June and went a 47.9 before. I guess, I guess that would have been before World Champs, and so uh, I think I think 
he like you know gets way down and then starts starts coming up and so i think this close to trials i think he'll be he'll have some sharpness i say 47 for dressel we'll see yeah 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 i think it is the north side swim center which is the big outdoor pool that's what it says online really yeah okay well, are you going? You should figure that out. I am going. So I should, I'll figure that out within the next 48 hours. <laughs> okay. Next up, same meet, same pool, whichever pool that is. Is Katie Ledecky going to break a U.S. Open record? I'm looking at the U.S. Open records in the most likely candidates. So it's 357.94 in the 400, 806.68 in the 800. And 152048 in the 1500. Oh, and 154.4 in the 200. And because 4 she broke 200. that at Michigan. The reason I asked this is because Katie Ledecky can literally go to any meet and have like one event that's just pff, hits it out of the park. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and sync this just because I, I just think Nesty is going to have a different approach than, than what she's had in the past. Um, I, I'm not saying I don't think she'll swim well. I'm not saying I don't think she'll be close because she's, as you said, she's liable to pop off at any time. I just, you know, we we saw what Florida did at, at SECs and I just don't, I don't think they're going to do it. I almost think like the Florida mentality is it's bad if you do it. And so it's just not going to happen. They're going to will it to not happen. Yeah, I'm going to sink it as well. As, as Coleman said, uh, Katie is probably better than any elite swimmer in history, able to just go off seemingly whenever she wants and when she gets on a roll. Um, and the last, she, last time she swam in, in San Antonio in the lead up to the Olympic Games, she swam unbelievably well. Um, but I am, I'm going to sink this as well. I had my eye on the 200 free actually is 154.4 is the one that would be most likely to go down here. Probably she's starting to fine tune some speed stuff going into world champ trials, but I don't know if I see a, a 154 low or 153 high coming out of this meet for her. This is hard. <clears throat> and I love being a contrarian, but I'll sink too. I think you guys are right. I think she'll, I think she'll be good. I don't think she'll be great. I think she'll with Nessie, she'll refine that, that chaotic speed a little more. Oh, do you decide your answers when you write the questions or do you wait to listen to ours? I wait to listen to yours. Yeah, I'm so glad you guys were here to talk about trials because I would have had nothing to say. ISL cancels their uh, 2022 season. I, I feel like we all saw this coming uh, with the war in Ukraine uh, and Konstantin being a Ukrainian and a lot of his money being in Ukraine and Russia. So my question is, uh, he sent out a letter Publicly, he sent out a letter to the athletes. Sink or swim, will ISL athletes be paid in 2022? I hate this so much. Like, I am so over the ISL. Um, I'm happy it's not happening because I didn't want to cover it. And nobody, like, people just don't follow You're a bad it. swim fan. I, I'm a, I'm, yeah, trying to be a good husband and not dedicate my entire summer to <laughs> covering a swim meet that nobody's watching. Um, like, it's just, it's who knows? Like, I don't know whether to sink or swim because we can't get a straight answer from ISL on anything for years. You know, they swore that the, the geopolitical conflict wouldn't, wouldn't impact season four. 
And then they tried to blame the whole cancellation on the geopolitical conflict. Like, it's just, I know they're, they're trying to get other investors, so maybe that would allow them to pay. But again, they say they had, maybe they have another investor, maybe they don't. Like, it, 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 it doesn't mean anything. Like, nothing they say has meaning at this point because they're just so all over the map. They can't get their stuff, stuff straight. Um, I, I don't know. I guess I'm swimming it. I, I think they'll figure out it's not that much money. I don't think that's still owed. Um, so I'm, I'm sure they'll figure out how to cobble it together via whatever they can. Um, I, they, I, they are confident that this league is going to continue next year. And I, we, Constantine's businesses are a little bit of a black box, but I don't know how any billion dollar business in Ukraine right now is going to come out of this being able to afford a $40 million a year professional swim season. So they're going to have to find another big money investor if this is going to continue. And if that investor is out there, why didn't they find them already? So I think I'm swimming it, but like, I'm a pessimistic swim. I will, I feel like this question is, is asking me whether or not I believe the conflict will end by the end of the calendar year, because either they are legitimately not able to access their assets or they're using it as a cover to not have to do it. And my answer is, I don't know. I'm a swim coach and a swim writer. I'm not a, a CNN political analyst or global affairs analyst. I mean, I am in the same boat as Braden is that I'm pretty pessimistic on the state of affairs over there now and, and the way things go. I think what popped into my mind with this question is um, if the ISL is, is out for another 12 months, let's say, um, how does that impact the NCAA and potential kids coming back for the fifth year? Bobby Fink, Karen Smith, that and others that um, you know may have gone to the ISL route to maybe make another forty or fifty grand, but now with the NIL rules, maybe we see some more people coming back. Uh, but that's a pretty large tangent off of this topic. So that that's but that's where my head went initially. Of oh, if this isn't happening, does that impact some of the top NCAA swimmers who may return for a fifth year now? Well, and the, the, the corollary to that point is that last year, and I know there was COVID, but last year teams had trouble filling out their rosters. They had trouble getting quality swimmers on their teams to sh- in, and at the meets. And there's a lot of swimmers, a lot of swimmers from the back end of rosters, especially American swimmers who have good college degrees um, weren't making that much anyway, but you know, it might be a lot more obvious to some of those swimmers now that they can go get a good job, start building their career, make 60 grand a year rather than scraping by on 30 grand a year with their parents chipping in for their rent. Like this, I, the, the talent pool for the league, which needs a lot of swimmers to, to operate in the current format is going to get thinner as a result of this. And so I think that's another sort of existential crisis for the ISL. They have to figure out maybe if they can get Asia involved, it's not as much of an issue, but if they can't, then they're in trouble that way too. On that note, uh, a few <clears throat> notes from the press room at, at men's NCAAs. Fink said he's for sure not taking the fifth year. Uh, Kibler and Krieger were both on the fence but they also said in their interviews, like my last NCAAs. Um, so kind of a question mark with them. Um, but my guess, 
if I if I was going to bet on it, I would say no. Uh, Cam Atronacci said he was he he was a fifth year already, so he doesn't have any NCAA eligibility. But on his retirement, he said, "I'm going to take a week to think about it, and then we'll see how I feel." Well, and we have to remember that next year those swimmers all count against their team's scholarship totals, which they didn't this year. So that's why we're not going to see as many fifth years come back. Why is that? Is it, they, it's just the just... way the waiver was structured. The first year, if you didn't transfer, um, your scholarship didn't count. So, wow, so the absence of Jordan Wendell, for example, who I assume was on a big scholarship, it's not like Texas was operating with fewer scholarships as a result of that. It was just, it would have been a bonus that they didn't have. Moving on from ISL, uh, in a similar vein, Russian athletes were banned. Russian and Belarusian athletes were banned from World 2022 World Championships in Budapest this year. Um, do you, I mean, do you, the question is, do you think that they should be allowed to swim in the World Championships? Do you think this is fair? Uh, so a swim would be, I think they should be allowed, and a sink would be, I think they shouldn't be allowed. Correct. Uh, my initial reaction was pro- was a soft swim. It wasn't like I was militantly in favor of them competing, but I understood the decision to allow them to compete. Uh, my initial concern was really that short course world championships in Russia and the fact that it took them so long to move that, um, I think is, is still a travesty, even though now that they've moved it, I think that's just so bad for swimming. Um, and I hate that right now we're, we're having to choose between ISL and FINA when neither clearly can, can get their stuff together. Um, but, you know, after, after the uh, Putin pro-war rally with the Olympians, you know, I don't know what Putin's goal was of bringing out those Olympians. But if there was any doubt before that international athletes exist as um, propaganda for the states they represent, Putin went and erased any doubt about it. Um, and so I think it's, you know, if, if they allowed the Russians to come, they, the week they got back, they'd be at a pro-war event promoting Putin, promoting the war in Ukraine, um, all those things. So I think at this point, with, after the Rylov incident, it's got to be a sink. you got to keep them out. If they, if they want to defect, if they want to come out publicly against, against the war, against Putin, whatever that language needs to be, I'm okay with it, um, with, with sort of reconsidering it on a case-by-case basis, but I think FINA had it backward. I think instead of considering bans on a case-by-case basis, they needed to put in a blanket ban and consider accepting athletes back in on a case-by-case basis. Yeah, I, I, I felt the same way that the my initial thought was, uh, you know, FINA, FINA using it as a, all right, well, we're just, because everybody else in the world is now, you know, for lack of a better term, canceling Russia and, and Belarus and athletes, assets, whatever you want to call it. They just kind of, it felt initially like they were just following what everybody else in the world was doing in terms of kind of shunning them from from everything. Um, and then the whole Rylov thing coming out at, at the pro-war rally, um, as Braden mentioned, you know, shows the either the the actual or perceived influence that they can have on, on their societies. And um, you know, allowing them to compete and, and like Rylov being an Olympic medalist, you know, succeed under that, um, and show kind of the power is, um, a difficult thing to kind of give them a platform to do. 
you know, if, if they were allowed to, I, the one thing that really bugs me is, is the not being allowed to compete under Russia, but they're the Russian Olympic committee at the Olympic games. Like if you're going to let them in, have it be Russia. If you're not going to let them, if you're going to say Russia's banned, then ban them. Um, like take a stance one way or another, don't allow yourself to, oh, well, the athletes can come as long as they're the Russian Olympic committee or the Russian swimming federation. Like just that's to me, that's a bunch of garbage. Yeah. They're, they're that. Yeah. They could have uh, put them under an Olympic flag. The name, the word Russia right. should not have been on their uniforms. Yeah. yeah. I was really confused about that one all Olympics. And I think a lot of athletes were as well. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm what I'm with Braden I'm with Michael. I don't, like them competing at all i mean because because this is sports and sports is not bigger than people losing their lives in a war being fought <clears throat> so not going to support that um so i i i feel for the athletes but um as Braden said if they wanted to fact completely that would be one thing um on a case-by-case -case basis but I, I get that's hard culturally um i don't know what russian culture is and i don't know how that would affect them but probably pretty negatively but um it's sports versus human lives so going with human lives on that one last but not least we announced that maggie well she announced maggie mcneil going to cal for her fifth year getting her master's gonna compete for the golden bears i am curious do you think that she will go best times in short course yards as a cal golden bear i think she'll go best freestyle times i don't think she'll get back to her 100 fly time um so you know it, it partially depends on who she has to train with it, it it seems to me as though she really wanted to be the center of attention so um not and i don't say that in, in a negative way just she wanted to make sure she was getting the full coaching attention wherever she went. Um, and so I guess we don't know if Izzy Ivy's going to be back there. We don't know if Whitesell is going to be training there. Um, but I, I think, I think she, Terry McKeever is obviously a great coach. She's coached some of the greatest swimmers in the last 20 years, especially short course swimmers. Um, so even though Maggie's already great in short course, I think there's still something she can learn from Terry. Um, but I, that hundred fly time was so good. I, I think she'll get to best times in the freestyles, but not in the hundred fly. Yeah, that's what I wrote down as well. I, I called it swimming with Prove water it. wings. She's going to make it. the. There uh, we go. Floaties somewhere on here. I don't know. <laughs> swimming with floaties. A lot of writing. You can't. Swimming with floaties. <laughs> she's she's going to go best time in the fifty-three. Like I, I'm, I would not be surprised if she goes twenty point something, challenges Douglas's record. As Braden said, I think the 100 fly was was such an otherworldly swim. And in the lead ups into an Olympic year, you know, especially kind of gives athletes like her juice. Um, I think she goes the best time in the 50 free. I don't think she cracks the 100 fly. Inside stuff, Michael was handwriting notes all week long in Atlanta. It's my <laughs> favorite thing from NCAAs. I'm old school, man. <laughs> that Ivy wow. League education. I, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to swim it on all accounts. Well, I'm on the hundred fly. I think she can go best time in the hundred fly. I think for whatever reason, I'm not going to speculate. It is obvious that on paper, Michigan had a down year. Uh, and I think she's going to go to Cal. She's going to get new perspective. Um, I mean, she was 49 low this year on with Michigan having that down year. So I think she can, 
I think she can go 48-7. I, I don't see why not. <laughs> She's Maggie McNeil. And last but not least, I just got a fun question to close out the show for you guys. Which of the four cities that were up for the 2024 Olympic trials would you have liked to see most? Minneapolis, 100%. Big time Minnesota guy. I've been to Duluth. <laughs> uh, Once. Let's, go. let's go Minneapolis. I would have said keep it in Omaha. They like oh. they're now at the point where Omaha was. I'm so over Omaha. To have a like have the identity. Saint of, oh, Louis. You're punching, you're punching your ticket. Have to the meat in the arch. Keep it somewhere. Keep it consistent. Don't move it around. Make it an identity around the meat in the city. Coleman, I'll meet you at Fitz's. June 2024. We'll see you there. We'll be in St. Louis. All right. That's the swim swim breakdown. Tune in every week for your week's news in swimming.